is the forgotten adoption option? Many are aware of infant international adoption where you hire an agency, often wait a long time, and spend tens of thousands of dollars. And then there's becoming a foster parent where you may or may not adopt the children. But there is a third option where you adopt children directly from the foster care system. I call this the forgotten adoption option. In fact, 30% of children currently in foster care are adoptable, and you don't need to be a traditional foster parent to adopt them. Hi there, I am Marcy Bursack. After blogging my experience adopting a pair of biological siblings to the foster care system, people started asking me to explain the process to them. And it's difficult to navigate, but the families I mentor feel that knowing the barriers, the challenges, and what to expect has actually helped them persevere and pursue their dream of adopting. And while I would love to have a really big family, adopting thousands of children isn't exactly realistic, but I can teach others how. Whether you're trying to figure out how to get started, you're battling some doubts and fears, or maybe you know someone who wants to adopt, I'm here with resources to help others discern if foster care adoption is the path for them. And if it is, I have practical tips and resources for them as well. You can find all of these resources, which include my blog, three books, an app, and a classroom lesson at ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. However you found this podcast, I am so glad that you did. I want to extend an invitation to you to reach out to me to ask anything on your heart. My goal is to help every waiting child be in their forever family. And that's why I host this podcast. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. In this episode, we will discuss what it's like to work inside the child welfare system. Daryl Missy is the director of the Children's Division for the state of Missouri. Hi, Daryl. Hi, Marcy. How are you? Good. A lot of people don't know that I live in Missouri because I was USOA Mrs. Ohio. So Daryl's actually from my state of Missouri, which is entertaining. We met through a season three podcast guest, Thea Ramirez, when we were both invited to a St. Louis Cardinals game in May to celebrate Adam Wainwright's gift through his big league impact organization to Adoption Share, which is the organization that Thea founded and leads. And that gift was to help children in foster care have stability, support, and love. And so afterwards, Daryl and I got both invited to be Thea's guests. We had this incredibly powerful, deep, and lengthy conversation about waiting children in Missouri's foster care system. Well, we watched a pretty epic game. I think there was something like seven home runs. Does that sound right, Daryl? Seven home runs. I think it's a record for the Cardinals from you know going back to 1915 or something, some ridiculous oh distance in the past since the last time they hit seven home runs in a game i didn't and realize that were, and they haven't hit many home runs since i will tell you that the <laughs> cardinals have been have been really subpar since that time we might uh, need to go back because there, there were like a lot of fireworks i was really impressed that they had like enough to like keep fireworking every time i'm surprised they were prepared for that <laughs> <laughs> anything can happen right any anything can so, Daryl, as we kick off, I'd love to start with, I know you were not planning to work for, like, the state government in any way. And, in fact, you were a judge earlier in your career. And I know some people are thinking, Marcy, you had someone else on your podcast like that as well. So this is, like, not an uncommon path um, as we're thinking through things. Commissioner Andrea Sanders also has a legal background in that. So can you share what led you into having a passion for children in foster care and ultimately what led you to lead Missouri Children's Division? Well, it's a it's a long story that I'll try to shorten as much as I can. So I was uh, I was a young lawyer in Jefferson County, Missouri, uh, a long, long time ago, and there was uh, I was having a 
doing a general civil practice, uh, trying a lot of interesting cases. But the thing that I got involved in were all these sad child welfare cases because all of these sad people came across the court, came across the street from the courthouse to my office uh, having concerns there. So I ended up uh, going and trying to help those people as best I could. It turned out the judge was horribly unfair and the whole system was treating people unfairly. And ultimately I decided I needed to run for judge and I ran for judge and I beat that judge. And then uh, 19 years later, I was still a judge uh, handling some of those cases and other things. And uh, I was I was going to retire. I had I, I would have been 55 and had 20 years which I think is really young to retire, but I was really young to have run for judge. And so I decided that uh, we were gonna go. My, 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 uh, all my children had moved to Florida. My wife's family was in Florida. My wife wanted to live in Florida. Everybody wanted to be in Florida. And I thought, I don't, I don't have to be a judge. And so I was gonna retire and go. And so I was uh, at the judicial college in Kansas City, where I where I was teaching the judicial college that year, uh, juvenile justice. And I, I was on my way back, and uh, the director of the Department of Social Services had had asked me to come by and talk with him about about child welfare issues and get my opinions. And I came by, I gave him my opinions, and then he suggested I should be the director of children's division. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, I'm going to retire. I got to get my 20 years and I've got to retire. And then I got to go to Florida, buy a kayak and do, do all those things. Yeah. And uh, and he convinced me that, um, you know, this would be a, a, a great way uh, to really, uh, you know, sort of put icing on the cake, as it were, to to solidify the work I'd done in the child welfare system as a judge and to try to help things be better. And so I decided to do that. So my family was already in Florida. I was already, they were already gone. I'd sold my house and moved them and they were gone uh, when this all happened. So we decided that I would stay, I would stay uh, long enough to conclude this. So uh, my my family lives in Florida and I, I uh, work in Missouri and I stay here uh, a good percentage of the time and I go visit them. And that's, that's the way things are right now. So you walked into a meeting, ready to retire, have a conversation, like your home's already sold and you leave that conversation staying in Missouri <laughs> and kind of doing this like encore. Actually, to round out. you know, I said, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me think about this. Let me pray over this. Let me, let me ponder this. And uh, I ended up, uh, I, I talked with a lot of people and I talked with one of, I talked with a director, uh, a former director from years ago. Uh, you know, this agency had like, like seven directors in eight years. I mean, it just, it just, or, or more than a lot of turnover. Yeah. A lot of turnover. And so the last director who'd been here for a while, I, I spoke with him and uh, had an hour long conversation. And uh, we got to the end of the conversation and he said, uh, and he said, Daryl, I know what you're going to do. You're going to think over it. You're going to be very judicious about it. You're going to weigh it. You're going to pray over it. You're going to do all that stuff. He says, and, and you should do that. But after you do, I ask you to do this. Uh, at, at the end of all of that, I want you to ask yourself one last question. What happens if you don't? Oh. Yeah. You had this great, this has been your life's work and you have the opportunity to try to make this difference and you did not do it. What happens? And what does that mean for the children and families of Missouri? And how will that set with you? That I want you to think about that. I said, well, thank you. So I, I called a my sarcastic. Thank you. That wasn't a thank you. <laughs> thank you very much for that. And I, I called my wife and she said, so what did he say? I told her that she goes, oh, no. 
we're going to do this. So we've been doing this. So I've been at this now for a year and a half. I started in January of uh, more than a year and a half. I started in January of 2022. Uh, and uh, we've really been moving things and trying to make things better and different. So we've been at it for a while now. And uh, here I am. Here you I'm are. I'm sitting in Missouri right now. I'm sitting in my <laughs> office looking at the Capitol uh, as we're on Zoom here together. I'm looking at the Capitol building and thinking, how in the world did I get here? But it, this is where I am. Yeah, Daryl has an office in Jeff City. He has a nearby apartment. He was sharing me sharing there's no Wi-Fi in that apartment. Um, so yeah, he's he's like in his normal, I guess, work attire. He's got a button-up shirt and a tie on for people that are listening. You can kind of like envision. I what this I, is like. I look I look much more professional than I will in a little while. I'll go over there and I'll <laughs> I will. Yeah, well, we saw the Cardinals game. I mean, you wear Cardinal stuff, so it's the first stuff. time I'm seeing you in your in your work garb. I'm wearing all black because that's basically what I wear in tech all day. So you're seeing me in a normal <laughs> work garb as well. It works out. So back to the Cardinals game. When we were there, you actually awarded Adam and his wife Jenny a handmade yarn doll. I don't remember the colors. What were they? Orange. It was red. It was red. I make them. The Cardinals. I make them in many colors. I've got a whole shelf of them over there, and they are in many colors. I I make them in all different colors, and uh, it was the Yarn Doll Award. So uh, when I was just when I was uh, thinking about doing this, well, I had decided to do this, and I'm trying to learn leadership. So I read a leadership book uh, by a guy named David Novak, who uh, was the CEO of Yum Brands, and that was Kentucky Fried Chicken and Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. And he turned those companies around, and then he got to write a leadership book, and it was called Taking People With You. And one of his one of his uh, chapters was about recognition, that you should recognize people in your organization and el elsewhere when they do great things. So when he was the uh, CEO of Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, he would he said, I'm not giving people a bonus. Said, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to uh, give people uh, if they need more money. I'm giving them a raise, and I'm not going to do employee of the month because then every employee feels like they should have their month. So instead, he was just going to throw meetings, and 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 recognize somebody for being great, and he would give them a token of his appreciation. And while at Kentucky Fried Chicken, what he would give them was a giant rubber chicken, which makes he sense. Gave, he gave him a giant rubber chicken, and and what happened is people began to covet the chicken. Everybody wanted one of those chickens, and uh, so I began to think about that and thought, what could I give people? I, some token of something that would say you did something great for a child and a family. What would it be? So I, I began to think uh, back to my childhood. When I was a kid, my mom had really severe bipolar disorder. My mom had a serious mental illness, which she she uh, worked through and our family worked through. But at one point when I was seven, she had to be gone for three months. That's why I often think about these foster kids because they they deal with that separation. And I know a piece of that, just a little piece of that because of that experience. And while she was away at the mental hospital, while she was there in 1974, she made yarn dolls for me and my sister. And I kept one of them. I kept my yarn doll. My my mom gave me a yarn doll when I was seven, and I've I've still got it. It's in that it's in this office. And so when I uh, when I decided I'm going to do something for families and you know kid for for people who help families and kids, I, I'm gonna I'll I'll learn how to make a yarn doll. So I got on YouTube, and I learned how to make a yarn doll. Now I'm not a crafty guy. I, I don't do this kind of thing. But I I got on YouTube and I learned how to do this. I had to learn how to braid, Marcy. I had I'm to impressed. learn how to braid. And so I make yarn dolls. And so Adam and Jenny Wainwright, because of their work, uh, they adopted out of Missouri's foster care system, by the way, I, I, I believe. And they and they, the, the because of what the, they were doing for uh, 
I think they may have adopted privately. I thought they adopted a baby privately. They privately. It may, yeah. may but they been. adopted. The whole point is they, they adopted. They, yeah, they, they, adop they adopted. Yeah. Yeah. But there was some involvement. There was some involvement here at this office, whether they did the home study or something, because people talk about it. They're like, oh, the Wainwrights, they're great. So we, uh, uh, just in recognition of the things that they had done, I gave I gave Jenny Wainwright, Adam was supposed to be there, but he was pitching that night. So I right, gave so Jenny- So he couldn't come, yeah. Yeah, he was he was back there getting in the zone. Uh, I, I presented to her the Yardall Award. What a delightful human being Jenny Wainwright was and all of her family there. And uh, down on the, down on the, uh, uh, down on the field at Bush Stadium. So it was really a great, it was really a great opportunity to highlight the issue and to recognize them for their good work. And uh, I do that kind of thing everywhere. I've given out. I've given. I mean, people in our people on our teams. Uh, you know, they get they get the Yarndall Award. I, a couple of months, I'll somebody will get the Yarndall Award, and I'll I'll post it on the weekly email that I do. And uh, somebody from Springfield, a new worker from Springfield, handled a really difficult situation with a teenager a few weeks ago. She got the Yarndall Award last week. Yeah, so that's that's what I do. I make them while I'm watching old movies on a DVD player in the apartment where I have no Wi-Fi. So. It's amazing. So how many do you have right now in stock? I'm guessing I've got about 20. Uh, it, it takes me it takes me about an hour to make them. And I'll just make them while I'm watching old old movies that I've, <laughs> I go to the library and I get old movies on DVD and I'll watch a movie. I'll make a yarn doll. And so it takes me it takes me about 45 minutes to an hour uh, to make a yarn doll. And uh, I, I, I make them in many different colors, green, yellow, red, blue, pink. Oh. Somebody's going to ask me for your link. We're going to have to work on that, Daryl. <laughs> like, I'll give you Daryl's information. <laughs> yeah. That's so neat. So as someone who has seen news headlines about social workers having really large loads and the roles having high turnover, and you even spoke of this in your own position, I'm kind of pivoting topics a quick, uh, you know, away from the happy over to like the real too, but it makes me right. wonder what it's like, you're, I mean, you're leading a whole state child welfare system. Like that's a really big deal. And I wonder if you can share with us, So I know you're an open book. Tell us some of the hope you have about child welfare in Missouri and tell us some of the realities that you face. Well, what I told Robert Nodell, that's the director of the department who asked me to do this job when he asked me to do this job is I, I told him, I said, I think, I think the system's kind of upside down. I said, we have a reactive system that's driven by fear, and, and you should have a proactive system that's driven by hope and evidence and best practice. And so it, it should not be this giant thing. It should be a more narrow thing that we can actually handle and actually help people. So we need to get upstream on these cases, on cases where families are struggling and having trouble. We need to get up front in those cases and do prevention work and really try to help people. And and try to reduce the number of kids actually coming into care. But once they're in care, we need to as you know, we need to work to get them home if and when we can. Uh, but on the on the back end of these cases, when they're ready to be done, we need to do the legal work to get them done and not let things linger. I mean, while we are doing this, it's like that family is on an operating table, you know, and it's like you leave them open forever. It's it's tragic and horrible. So let's move cases when we should. And so my hope is is that we're going to reduce the number of kids in foster care, that they'll be here only when they need to be. Uh, they'll be here for less time uh, because they will either go home soon or they will find a home soon. One of those two things. And that, you know, Missouri is out of line. Missouri is out of skew. So the, the, uh, the national average 
for kids in foster care is five per thousand, which they the experts say is way too high. The United States is overusing this, right? So if I'm so like if an I, educator, I have I have kids in school. You're saying out of every thousand kids in that school, five of them are currently them are, in foster care. Yeah, five of them are in the in the child welfare system somehow. They might be placed with grandmother, but they are they are in state custody. Five of the thousand in Missouri when I showed up, the number was ten. Ooh. Yeah, we're double the national average of kids in foster care. We had 14,000 kids in foster care, and to be at the national average, we would need seven. Uh, and and we've got a workforce that's too small, so they've got these enormous these enormous caseloads. Uh, and and you can't just go to the legislature and say, hey, double double our number of people. Uh, they just won't do that. So what we did instead was is we made a very tailored request for give us a prevention force. Uh, to get in front of these cases and to try to help families stay together rather than taking them apart and give me some lawyers uh, so that on the backside of these cases, when they're ready to be done, we can get them done. The legislature did that. We don't have those people in place yet, but even Marcy, just talking about it, talking about trying to help people and trying to do prevention and talking about concluding cases when they're ready, just by talking about it, letting people know this is an issue and this is what we need to do. We have reduced the number of kids in foster care. When I started, it was 14,200. This this morning, it was 12,850. He just opened something official. Was it like a padfolio? What was that? What it was, it, it's, my, it's my calendar. Ah. I write on my calendar every every Monday, I write on the calendar how many kids we have in foster care, because we should have 7,000, Missouri, a state like Missouri should have 7,000 children in foster care. We currently have 12,850. Which so is that's smaller better than 14,000. 14, that's amazing. Well, it, and the it, fact the, that- The trajectory that, is right. Yeah, that is the right, that's amazing. And like kudos, applause and incredible things. And, and, and I think kudos, applause, incredible things also, I mean, to get approval- to create a new way to do things and to get people high. I mean, just getting the budget approved. I mean, Daryl, that's huge. Like you got to well, go through so many ropes to get there. And I, I, I credit, I credit, I credit Robert Nodell, our boss, you know, for, for advocating for it like he did. And the folks at the division of finance for really helping tailor what that should be. But the legislature in this state is serious. I mean, I think they, they, the people I've talked to, they're serious about wanting to help this be better. And so they they put their money where their mouth is. Now, 100 people, we got 100 new people uh, to do the prevention. That's a drop in the bucket. But what the hope is, is that that'll, that'll, that'll prime the pump, that that will get us started. And as we reduce the number of kids in care and get caseloads where they need to be, when they get below where they need to be, we can then shift. We can then shift more people toward prevention, more people toward trying to help uh, this thing never happen and do a better job when it does happen of getting kids where they need to be when they need to be there. So mm. I think uh, it's a it's a big, broad vision that will not happen overnight, but we're moving in the right direction. Which is a big deal. It's a really big deal. And on top of that, like, I know you said 100 people seems like a drop in the bucket. And I'm sure when you spread that out across the whole state, it, it feels like, okay, that wasn't the most we could do, but it's a start. And I think that's it's super incredible, Daryl. And I think what was really neat, one of the things that you and I connected on, and Thea was so excited for us to meet that night at the game, is just how... I'm going to use the word progressive and innovative. You've been in this state to try new things. And I think that's, that's, I love that our listeners get to hear about that. Cause I think some of our listeners 
or people in other states that are thinking, oh, we could learn from this and others might have tips to share with us and, or might even go into a career like that. So I'm going to pivot a little bit. So Daryl, some of our listeners are people in the child welfare system. They might be a social worker right now. They might work for children's division. They might be at an institution, meaning like they're teaching these classes They have a heart for people. Some people are going into law or maybe they're thinking about it. I know there's just so many possibilities in this space, but you've had such an interesting career doing very different things that have allowed you to make such an impact on people and families. And I'm curious whether you're talking to someone that maybe has a child soon to graduate that's looking for a career path or someone that's like, it's never too late to start something new or I'm already doing this. How can I advance my career? What advice? would you give to us if we're given even an ounce of thought of, I might want to work in child welfare? Be open to it. Be open to it. Be open to serve. Don't discount the idea that you can make a difference. You know, I think that people think, well, I could never do that, or I would never do that, or I've got practical reasons not to do that. I've got all kinds of practical reasons not to be sitting here right now. Uh, But uh, I I came at this with a sense of calling. I, I believe, you know, I believe people have that. Uh, I do. I mean, I, as a, a person of faith, am convinced that uh, I'm I'm supposed to do certain things. And so you got to be open to it and ask yourself, how can I serve? I mean, leadership. I, you know, I, I was I wanted to be a lawyer. I wasn't it wasn't my idea to be a judge, and it wasn't my idea to be the director of a division. I I wanted to be a lawyer, and uh, and you know, uh, the right thing turned out to be something different. And uh, you know, just being open to it and willing to say yes and to serve. And a, a, a good leader is a good servant. I think, I think uh, you know, all of the new modern trendy uh, leadership books tell you that, but also a lot of old and wise scriptures tell you that too. And so I just encourage people to be open and to, and to be willing to serve and uh, ask yourself, what's a good way that I can do my work and love my neighbor? I think that's that's a good way to look at it. Should we also ask ourselves what happens if we don't? What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't? I feel like you might, you're going to throw that one back at us. Like maybe yeah, you need to ask a, yourself. What, what happens What happens if you don't? Well, and I'll tell you, you know what went through my mind? What happens if we don't? Our trajectory was terrible. I mean, we were we were continuing to accumulate children in foster care. Uh, we had, we had um, I, I, I think, uh, a, a feeling of despair, uh, a view that we weren't going to help people, uh, a view that the only way to help people was to dismember their families, uh, that we weren't going to even try. We were just going to continue to accumulate children in foster care. I mean, the the, the chart just it looked like Mount Everest, the way we were climbing. And I, you know, the answer to the question, what happens if you don't, is thousands of kids and families are going to suffer. And I thought, you know, I, I, if there's if I can do anything about it, I have to try. So here I am a lot to chew on our listeners usually stay on after questions like that I was like stay in there hold on don't go <laughs> don't go oh, away yet. don't go away no that was heavy but it's good it's so good and so Daryl we talked a little bit about children in the foster care system and there being some that are you, your words were they were going home and some will find a home and so specifically that second group those are going to find a home so I want to invite you to speak directly to the children that really have the heart of this particular podcast I hear from several of them and I primarily those that have aged out of the system that say, man, I'm so glad you're having this conversation. And I, while I love hearing from them, I hate that the story didn't end differently for them, right? That they're, they're cheering on the kids that are still in the system, but yet they didn't get to have that experience. And so 
I'm wondering if you could talk to kids that are waiting to be adopted, whether it's in Missouri, across the country, wherever these kids are in your own city right now. Um, I think right now in Missouri, it's about 1500 kids. I'm curious, what would you say to them? Hang in there uh, and, and, and be open to relationship. You know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, we create a, we put a lot of labels on things. We put a lot of labels on our relationships and on, on, uh, on people's status and have you, do you have, do you have permanency? You know, uh, that's, that's the word that the, that, that child welfare uses. And I, people will notice I don't use it. Uh, I, I rarely use it because everything in life is in flux, but what we can have is connection. And what we can have is a lot of, um, a, a, a lot of, uh, really meaningful relationship. And whether that relationship is with a guardian or with a parent or with an adoptive parent or with all of those things, uh, I encourage you to be open to that relationship and be open to connection and 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 speak your mind, by golly. Uh, we had a great podcast. We do a podcast at Children's Division called uh, We Are We Are Children's Division. And we will have a podcast coming up where I, I spoke with uh, Eugenia Wallace, who is the reigning, the reigning Miss Black Missouri. She is going to be in the in the uh, in the in the Miss Black USA contest uh, coming up, and she was just a delightful person. And she aged out of foster care. You, I encourage you to listen to her story because it is really fantastic. Because what she did was, well, first of all, people listened to her. That doesn't always happen, right? People listened to her and she uh she loved her dad she still loves her dad uh, but he had he had substance issues and so she ended up coming into care and she stayed with a godmother for a while and then somebody suggested and she loves her and then she suggested somebody suggested she could go to a foster home where she could be with other kids and she said okay I'll try that out and she did that but she retained all those connections uh and, and oh by the way she was separated from her brothers and and people worked it out that she retained the connections to her brothers. And then she had a much older sister who ultimately took her uh, into her care. And that's who she aged out with. And here's how she viewed all that. I have all of those people. You know, I have all of these relationships. And she credits, she's, uh, she's graduated from college. She wants to go to law school. She's working in a law firm and she wants to go to law school. And she credits her dad for sitting down with her and watching law shows when she was little. Uh, and and making her read encyclopedias. And uh, she credits her godmother for being at that, that good force in her life and her foster parent and everybody. She's got everybody. And what we do in this system, I think we make a mistake. And I think I think the people who are coming through this system, the people who the young people who are living it, make a mistake when we say it has to be, you know, we have to sever everything or we have to cement everything. And we, and we do that black and white and no, no no both and you know we're not doing we should be doing both and we should have our we should have our past and our future and our people and we should we should be allowed to and encouraged to love everyone and and build connections as much as we can and so i i encourage people to do that and and not to believe the narrative that that you have to sever things i think that's that's what's painful for people and uh Give folks some mastery. Give folks some ability to speak their mind and and follow their heart. So. That's powerful. Who should we speak up to, Daryl? We're feeling stuck. Who 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 would listen to us? Well, I will go around the state and I talk to I talk to uh, our team and I I give this little talk 
Uh, when I give it to our team, I call it the 10 directives. When I give it to people outside of it, I just call it the 10 things, 10 things to think about. Well, the, the thing number four is listen to people, listen to people. And I tell people that, that who are people? And I list a group of people and who are people, the kids are people, their parents are people, their foster parents are people, you know, e even the lawyers and judges are people. They're all people. So listen to them. And I think that, that it, you should speak up to your caseworker. Say, this is what I want. Uh, you've got a lawyer. You have a lawyer called a guardian ad litem. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, oh, I never met my guardian ad litem. I never met my lawyer. Uh, but, you know, Eugenia, you know, she was like, my lawyer was great and I could call her anytime. And well, that's what should happen. And so you should insist and say, this is how I feel. This is what I think. And if you don't know what you think, you should express to people that you don't know what you think and why, because there's knowledge in that too. Uh, I, I think be listened to, have a voice. I think that's that's my advice. It's great advice. I thank you for that. I know people listening heard you and I think we feel empowered. Daryl, this was so delightful. The time has flown by. You this is over. So this much. Is I know, I know. I'm like sad. This was so good. And I'm so grateful for your, not just your service, but the passion and the heart that you have behind seeing the vision and, and going after it, Daryl. We are so grateful to have you in Missouri. Well, thank you, Marcy. Thank you for what you're doing. And, and people who are listening or considering adopting, thank you for doing that. I mean, there's nothing more beautiful than than taking in somebody and making them your own and 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 loving them like because they are your own, making that happen. 1,500 kids in Missouri uh, are, are sort of disconnected and adrift. So you can make a real difference if you come and help. So I encourage everybody to do that. Listeners, did you know that you've helped the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast rank in the top 30% most followed podcasts on Spotify? You are helping waiting children be seen, and you're teaching our nation how to adopt these children. You can help this podcast reach more future adoptive parents by leaving a review and continuing to share this podcast with others. You can even help others know that instead of Googling to try to figure out how to adopt, they should go to ForgottenAdoptionOption.com where they can learn the step-by-step -step process tips for enduring the journey, and I even have a children's book to celebrate the forever families all around us. It means so much that you took the time to listen to this episode. And on behalf of the 113,000 children who each has a name, a story, and dreams, and deserves to grow up experiencing the love and support that is found in a forever family, I thank you so much for caring.